Tanya82, one day at a time, day 11. And it's not necessarily a day that we were excited about, but when we started digging Mick Foley, as usual, we found a lot. Yeah, you have to scrape away the surface of this one and go, you had to, kind of, you had to dig the shovel down a little bit. Like these three mm. matches. No, it's, you know, Italy Cameroon is bad. Argentina El Salvador is violent. And Brazil and New Zealand is a, it's an entertaining old affair because Brazil are there like, but uh, yeah, you have to kind mm. of dig down, down below the surface soil. All right, to get, but, but there's stuff. Oh man, is there stuff. There's stuff. I think you've neatly given our listeners the order of the day. The last two games, of course, kicking off at the same time as they do. Kieran O'Hara, how the hell are you? Hola, Rob. I'm coming around to the old Harry Cavan view at this stage. I have to go through days like this. I'm like, (laughs) maybe they should have stuck with 16 teams and kept the quality high. Um, Do you know what I love? I love the way we're at day 11, which is exactly the halfway point of this podcast series. Um, That bit, I'd I'd be happier if we were further along, but never mind that bit. The the fact (laughs) that we're so far in that we absolutely will not clarify, give any context on who Harry Cavan is, because you're all in here with us at this stage. You can't possibly have just pressed play in the middle of this series. None of us even knew who Harry Cavan was 11 days ago. Did we really? Yeah. No. No. No, and we probably won't know in a week, but that's not the point. <laughs> Billy Japan, how are you? Very good, uh, Rob. I'm not so downcast as 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 mm. as the people before me. Uh, mm. uh, mainly on the basis that I enjoyed the Brazil game. I think there's 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 something to enjoy in it, just try, as an artistic form, more so than anything else. Really, on on uh, you know, in terms mm. of the cut and thrust of competitive football. But there there are things to be enjoyed there, so we'll get to them. Yeah, it was, it was a buzz. And the Brazilian television coverage is actually worth talking about. We might even be able to talk about graphics and stuff with Kieran. But carry on, Kieran. We'll see. We'll see. Him, we'll see. He's getting all excited. I know. He's Can I talk about graphics? Do I look like someone that graphics. might just be getting a burst of enthusiasm? No. Hey. <laughs> no, actually. Maybe he doesn't like them. Colin Sheridan's back. Uh, like, I don't know whether this is great podcasting to be talking about what he's wearing, but he is wearing a dressing gown. He looks like someone who's about to get into a boxing event, although the dressing gown, not sure if it's the narrative. What kind of boxing events do you go to? <laughs> I don't this know. Event he's wearing space jam, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not allowed, lads. You can't, you know, can't discriminate based on what the what my dressing gun is like rob great to be on uh yeah you know for everybody who's who's been on this journey so far as you said 11 days 11 days right 11 days and surely then it, it, I, I can only equate their journey to being like the the people who were watching heat waiting for robert de niro and al pacino to be on the on the on the screen together and this is what has finally happened for myself and billy joe oh yeah the stars have finally aligned <laughs> and this, this, nice and this is going here. to be yeah yeah. yeah, this is going to be the one they're, they're going to be talking about just, you know, for a long time to come. Very, very humble analogy. Rob, it's going to be so heavy, we're going to need an intermission. Just like with Heat. I went to Heat. He loves an intermission. I went to Heat. He loves a good intermission. I went to Heat. I'm, I'm that old. I'm that old. I went to Heat when it was out in the movies and there was it was still the time of the intermission. Went out for a quick fag. Back in. <laughs> maybe a old bag of minstrels or something on the way back in for the second half hoo-ha the Nero boys an old, an old rat scurrying across your feet as you watch the oh. second half well it all adds to the colour <laughs> 
Right, enough of that. Uh, we got to get going. I mean, I'm just actually watching this on the screen right now. Uh, the Cameroon players are walking off the pitch. They're applauding the crowd. They're kind of proud <clears> of their <throat> efforts. But they're out of the World Cup. Game one. It's the matinee. It's Italy trying to save the World Cup. Italy won. Cameroon won. First undefeated team to exit the World Cup, Rob. Which, you know, is wow. going to be like, you're going to hear later on in the tournament about another team who go out undefeated and cited as a reason that they need to change the structures. Well, the same thing happened to Cameroon in this instance. Um, so you, you can't you can't fault them for their endeavour in this group because they've made it hard for the other teams and they've particularly made it hard for Italy here. But let's be honest, Italy should have tanked them. Oh, totally, totally. And I mean, there's no way, right? I, I take the point, right? They're un- they are unbeaten. But given what Cameroon have brought to this tournament, outside of outside of disproving the notion, you know, that the idea of expanding the competition will lead to a load of absolute wagon teams coming in and getting battered around the place. Like, that hasn't happened to them. They've been competitive. But they've brought the sum total is zero other than that. Like, they've been very physical, very defensive, very boring. Um, this game, like a win or a draw, Italy just didn't just had to avoid defeat. They would go through on goal difference as a result of that. So Cameroon needed to win. Rob, you just mentioned there at the top, like there you, you're watching there walking off the field, applauding the crowd. That's more or less what they did for the whole match. They walked around. In fact, the last couple of minutes of the game, when it's one all and they need to kind of get forward, they do get forward, but it's the slowest, most painful. Uh, kind of, you know, charge at the Italian defence you've ever seen. Personally, uh, you know, and I hate to say it, but I'm glad to see the back of them. They've brought nothing mm. to this. I, I, I mentioned in a previous edition about their African Cup of Nations record earlier this year where they had gone out undefeated in the group stage. <laughs> They've doubled up. That, same thing, three draws. Oh my God. Six tournament games, six tournament draws. In one yeah. calendar year, um, so I I think overall they've been a disappointment for me because I was expecting Roger Mia. I was, you know, I was kind of he's not whatever age we hear in 1990. This is him in his prime, and we haven't really seen him. You see that, but we did see him score a goal that was disallowed, and I, it was a harsh decision first game. Oh, that could have changed everything. I feel I feel Mick is is has been a little bit harsh on on Cameroon there. Like I, I think I look at a lot of these emerging football nations, uh, if that's a fair term to use, in these World Cups uh, through the prism of like, how would you feel if Ireland played like this in a World Cup? <laughs> that's exactly how Ireland <laughs> played in a World Cup. That's oh, no, you're dead right. You're dead right. You're dead right. No, but, but and like and like even but no. Uh, yeah, okay, but even though, like, clearly zero creativity in the, you know, latter third of the field, especially in this game, they they could play, and you know, a lot of the antics uh, off the ball were were kind of comical, you know, especially as you say, make the saluting of the crowd and the constant waving and gesticulating and clapping, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the way, like, they had unbelievable athleticism, um, and they, they did actually play 
quite well, I felt at times, out from the back. And then they just seemed to have no interest or it wasn't part of their game plan in, in like attacking or having... Compared to their, their, the other African um, team at this tournament, uh, who we'll talk about later on, um, Cameroon were not that interested in attacking. And I'll give them that. But if you're looking at through them through the Colin Sheridan prism of, you know, how would our Republic of Ireland played? I thought they actually did okay. I can't argue with that. Like, sorry. I can't argue with it. I, I, well, I, yeah, okay, no, but so nobody else is gonna. There's nobody no, else. No, I know. I am going to argue. But 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 just just so I can close off the point before the others come in. Like there is an awful lot of. Can we curse Rob? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. I, I like I like warning. There is an awful lot of shit football being played. There's an awful lot of shit football being played by good teams, and. <laughs> It's a strong Cameroon are not there. Listen, this is they're, they're novices. This is a maiden voyage for them. Yeah, they don't bring an awful lot to the table, but at the same time, they're drawing with Italy, you know, at a point of this game where you know Italy should have been out of sight. But you know, I'm gonna kind of just stick up for them a little bit. That's all their, their physical strength at times, like Italy tried to hammer into them and ended up bouncing off them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they but, could play though. Ah, it's frustrating, I, perhaps, that they didn't play. But I think they I, could. Like, uh, uh, I, uh, yeah. Well, it's the only thing I'll say. There's two things stood out for me. Is that there was a tackle midway through the second half where I, I can't remember which Cameroon player tried to decapitate Bruno Conti, and it kind of just made me relive Italian ninety all over again. Um, but the other thing that kind of just drove me nuts in this game was the long range shooting. Like everyone, they seemed to get within 35 meters. And this was Italians and Cameroonians alike just seemed to. Kunde in particular, I think he had about seven shots. I, I think one was from about 43 yards as it was just mental stuff. Um, now, to give credit, I think um, what you call him, um, Tardelli. You know, he had two good shots, one left footed, one right footed. They're probably the, you know, two of very few pieces of quality in the game. There were, there were, there were examples of it. So this, they deserve some credit for that. But to, maybe to give Colin some credit and to agree with him to some extent is that in the early stages of the game, I thought that Cameroon tried to play a game where they sat back and, and caught and to catch the Italians on the break. The Italian defense was so deep, it was impossible for them to do that. And that's when he saw the best in Miller kind of, you know, some decent touches. But then they got no support up for after the initial pass and it was it petered out. I totally agree with Billy Joe there. And I, I do, I I totally know what you're saying, Colin. Like, I mean, it is, it's, I was watching thinking this is Ireland 1990 all over again. If I was sitting, I don't know, in France or somewhere watching this, and watching Ireland in 1990, I'd be, my head would be in my hands watching it, you know, going, this is awful. I'm just not watching these guys anymore. So, yeah, fair enough. There's, there, there, there is romance. And it has to be said that the Italians should have tonked them, like Kieran said. So a lot of the blame has to go to the Italians for the way this game played out. Like, But at the same time, like in the first, I mean, one thing as well, the Italians got no protection in this game. Like after about 14, 15 minutes, Embiida the Cameroonian midfielder, just stamps on Cabrini. He just he clearly stamps on him. And it's a free kick to Cameroon. Um, about 10 minutes later, Graziani is taken out at the knee. And it's not even a free kick. And there's a couple of other um, fouls before that that are just let go. 
Um, like it takes Cameroon 41 minutes to get a shot on target. You know, like it's just, and again, again, as Billy Joe says, I get it. Sit in, frustrate the Italians. Italy score after an hour, literally Cameroon score with the next one around. And, but like for the last half an hour, Cameroon do nothing. They do nothing at all to try and salvage the game. Let me just, I'm showing you a picture, lads, of the screen. Colin, you need to see this. This is like one minute left in the game, right? This is the number of Cameroon players in their own half and they get a free kick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven! Seven players before you see an Italian. Where's the ambition? I, I think, Rob, and Billy Joe's hit upon it, and it will become a theme again in this episode because um, our, our friends from the Southern Hemisphere also take shots, pot shots from distance against Brazil. I think when teams reach their limit, they just decide, you know, it's almost like they're chasing stats. Well, you know, it'll go down as a shot. And and I think yeah. that there was a there was Maybe. a lot of that with Cameroon. Now, you've mentioned the referee. I know I keep bringing it up, but now this is not a one-hit wonder. He does have other significant moments. His name is Bogdan Dolchev. He's from Bulgaria, but he's best known as the linesman from the England Argentina game in 1986. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Where I mean, for people who are just tuning in by the way, like this is a recurring theme now of referees who've either never refereed again after a particular World Cup game in '82, or in this man's case, gone on to even more notoriety. Uh, this is only a so this is only a springboard game, really, to to bigger and more ridiculous things. But I, I think it's the condition of the time. Like it, it's robust. Like it, the play is robust. Yeah, those who can't referee, that must be the. That must be the phrase back then. Back then, there. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to dig deeper, or, or you know, or at some point, or like there must be some science to behind the long range shooting. Um, and I know what you're saying, Kieran, about the stat chasing. It probably wasn't stat chasing in 1982, but it definitely must have been something in the coaching for these teams that felt out of their depth that it was literally like we're t- keeping the ball, or you know, was that you know th- that could only cause trouble. So if you got in a position. Like, I don't know how they were going to catch it, how they thought they were going to catch Dino's off out. But um, there's definitely something because it is. Most of them seem to be well wide of that. Exactly. Yeah. They weren't going to bother him. But like, it stopped at a point, like in subsequent World Cups. Um, But it definitely was a theme for like the earliest television or televised World Cups to probably, I don't know, 86 or 90. But after that, but it's, it's, it's bizarre. Although, I don't know. I, I think they were just like the rest of us because we watched Adair and Falcao and Socrates in the first round. I, like, I can have a piece of that. Boom. Mm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. There's an element of, yeah, actually, of the, the kind of the guy who comes down to five side who yeah, hasn't been down before. <laughs> He's just like no self awareness, and you wish you, you nearly had his confidence that you tried these things, but they're just like, yeah, I'll have a go here. And then, like, it's out for a throw. And maybe it's a very, very simple thing as well, that the, the tango football is known to move. This is one of the first balls that moves. And maybe they're having a whack in training and they just say, oh, this mm-hmm. thing has gone all over the place. Let's have, you know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they're not getting anywhere near the goals, that's for sure. Uh, like, I, I'm conscious we have... They're not getting any respect from you either, Mick, which is... You're damn right. I'm conscious we possibly have, you know, one or two overseas listeners who won't get the reference. But it seemed like that old thing of... You know, in Gaelic football, whatever you do, lads, 
if you're going to miss, put the ball dead. <laughs> and and it felt like that. But I mean, you know, I, I was looking at Opta have actually done stats now historically for all the World Cups from 66 onwards. Yeah. Really? And nice. 82, they're talking about this prevalence of playing out from the back, what they call playing out from the back, which is going to be we know Mother it's not playing out from the back. It's passing it back so he can launch it as far from his own goal as possible. And, yeah. and like it just feels like they're looking for a low percentage. Billy, Billy's nailed it. They're afraid of being turned over in possession by a counter-attacking team. And let's look. Okay, Italy haven't fired. But Berzat's reputation is that he's trying to play total football with this Italian team. So there is a risk factor to a turnover. And they they do, I mean, they're the ones that make all the run. If anyone's playing football in this game, it's the Italians. And I mean, they are trying and they miss some, there's some sitters missed. I mean, Graziani misses a lot of headers, actually, an awful lot of headers we missed. Colavati misses one, Graziani misses one. Uh, Bruno Conti, lads, in the first 15 minutes. Italy take a, take a fast free kick over the top of the, Cameroonians are just standing there. And suddenly Conte finds himself one-on-one with Encono, Thomas Encono, the Cameroon goalkeeper. He manages to and kind of dummy the, the goalkeeper, leaving himself a near-open goal, and he puts it wide. Like, <laughs> yeah, shocking mess. And uh, that open goal, you described it perfectly. Just to add to, add to that, is that Kono is sitting on his backside <laughs> at this stage it. before Conti has pulled the trigger and he still kicks it wide. I think the commentator nearly bust out laughing. It was that bad. You're right, though. Like, it, it, Italians are playing the football. I have to say, I did not know a whole lot. And it's like this. It's 1982. I'm not remembering these as a bloody one-year-old watching this. But like, you think you know something about Paolo Rossi and Bruno Conti and you know Gentile? I didn't know Anton really about Antonioni, and I actually enjoyed his 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 contribution. Good player. You, Good player. Two two-footed, clever on the ball. I enjoyed that. And I you know look to talk about the goals. You're right. Graziani misses an easier header in the first half where he, he should have keep it down. He's only heading that in the six-yard six box. Whereas the goal he does get, the ball's looped in from the left wing. He's jumping among two uh, Cameroonian defenders. And he does the, he enacts the header or executes the header the only way he can score. He loops it back across to where the ball came from over in Kono. And Kono, as he's trying to get to it, slips. I don't think he would have got to it anyway, even if he was able to keep his, his feet. And I have to say, I love a loop and header into the far post and it was perfectly executed. A good goal. Great goal. And Paolo Rossi, I think, did, made the cross. Um, it was a perfect goal. It was, And it was a, one of your long-range headers as well. You like those, yeah. don't you? You like a good old long-range header. I do. Yeah, I, I love a long-range header of all sorts, whether it's a, a bullet header from the edge of the box that Graziano one there, Graziani one really enjoyed. Now, my all-time World Cup favorite is Jared Borghetti, I think, against the Italians for Mexico mm. in, is that no, in Germany uh, 6 or uh, or oh, 02? Anyway, here, either way. I feel like we should play a fanfare now before we get into the Cameroon goal because to give them their credit, their first ever World Cup goal. Good. Yeah, I, I'm surprised you're even, you're even covering the Cameroon uh, goal, lads. <laughs> um, you're just kind of post-colonial kind of... Uh, ah, would you stack it off with your post-colonial now? Taking the yeah. games at face value, Colin. Bloody hell. Okay. <laughs> Did we colonise the French part on, or the British so. part? 
I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware that Ireland had colonised uh, Cameroon at some point. Well, no, I'm, I know what I said was there was a post-colonial kind of tone to your 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 coverage of this game. Like, I mean, yeah, like our coverage, Conan. Cameroon's, our coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Coming in here with your outsider attitude. <laughs> I, know, I hear you. Team is... <laughs> I tell you what, that was one. Look. He's done the research. He's watched the game. I think he should. He should tell us about the goal. <laughs> well, Rob. Uh, first of all, not the you can't, you, yeah, yeah, you can't score a goal unless you actually attack the opposition goal. Okay. okay. Well, this is going to be very in depth. This is going to be very in depth. I can tell already. <laughs> I, I'm going to let just because Mick loves the camera so much. I'm gonna let him talk, talk uh, you through it, and then I'm gonna give my notes. You're a star. You're a star. Well, I tell you, the celebration I love that the, the the ball up in the air and uh, collapsed the knee. That's one of the all time. And then the yeah, anyway, the it's goal. A, yeah, go on, sorry. I tell you, the one thing when you read the match reports the following day, it's it's weird. It's it's all about stern Italian defence and shutting down the Cameroon attacks and stuff like that. And I'm looking at going, I don't know what match they were watching. Like, but, and then for like the most kind of, I suppose, influential piece of Italian defending on the game is awful. Literally straight off the restart after Graziani's goal, straight off the restart, um, Cameroon come forward. And it's just, it's a ball just kind of lands over three Italians. Embida, who I mentioned earlier on, who did like a quick two step on Cabrini about a half an hour before, kind of just keeps running. The Italians are all over the shop. It's like it's almost like they were still jogging back with their backs to the tip off or something that they just turn around. And, oh Jesus, the ball goes over them. And Bill just keeps running and beats off in point blank range, and suddenly it's one all. And they're like going right. That's no. a true ball, Mick. It's a true ball. <laughs> it's a ball. It's a ball. It's a ball. It's all it is. It's like it was. It was a kind of a. It was like it was piked over the top. Almost, Jeez. but look at. No, but Mick, here's the I, I'm with Colin on that. Rob. I think it was a nice. I, I'm actually with Colin yeah. on this. I think it was a nice. It was he just flicked that on inside. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to just chime in with Colin That's here. Fine. Here's here's the thing. Here's the here's the, the thing though. Maybe I tell you what. My memory of the true ball is clouded by what happens for the next half an hour, which is the sum total and nothing. I know. Colin sees a lot of nil-nil draws, so the goal must have just absolutely. You know, this is it. We never thought of it. This is it. <laughs> Context. <laughs> it's the first goal in six hours. I, 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 think, I think part of my problem for the broader, to, to give Mick his, his due here, is the fact that the, the footage of the goal that I watched was clearly shot by like a French film director who passed away recently, uh, Godard, whoever, because it's shot in that kind of, you know, the Zidane film uh, style, where it's following the players and not the ball. And, and so, listen, I don't know what coverage you were watching, but I just went for the art house version. <laughs> Um, so it was kind of hard to see the overall picture. Is all I'm saying. But I like the movement. I like the ball. Does the uh, do, so did the so did the footage of the goal you saw that it cut intermittently to like a, a disinterested local just smoking a cigarette and back yes. to the goal and then and then a oh, shot of like a fountain and then back and then a shot of like two lads playing oh. chess on the beach. Yes, all scored by Mogwai. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> there, there's just way too many film references match. today. It's uh, <laughs> it's, okay. it's 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 like Barry Norman's on the band. <laughs> As I'm sure Mick can testify, when you're really stuck in the column, you just gotta litter it with as many just, pop culture references just, as he can, just to get the work on top. Just but I mean, the, the thing with this is because again, 
um, matches aren't being played at the same time in each group. Both sides know what they need to do, and Italy only require a draw. Cameroon need to win, but you don't see them showing any ambition to try and achieve it. And I think there's a little bit of, I think the criticism that the Italians have been getting up until now from their supporters, from the press, I think it's possibly seeping in because this is not the total football bears that group. This is a group bordering on Caternaccio for the rest of the game. We have what we hold. We're in second. Don't push this. No doubt about it. And you're right, the pressure... The pressure that's now been exerted on the Italians, which began after the after the Peru game, is really now at boiling point. In on all on all fronts, they are completely and utterly being assailed by their own federation, by their fans, and by the press. And it's really and in fact by politicians back home. And it's really, really, really starting to uh, the nuts and bolts are, are 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 starting to squeak a bit. One of the thing reasons for that though is, and we've discussed this in a previous episode. There's there's a journalist's strike in the previous week, so mm. you'd imagine all those journals when they arrive back on the job are going hell. We better sell some papers because we couldn't sell any last week. Um, the politicians are going to have other agendas. There's a major banking crisis going on. There's an unstable government, surprisingly, in, in Italy. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the, it's bicameral system. So you've got their president then but, who wants to be attached to something great. And none of this is happening for them in this stage of the World Cup. But what's happening with the football team speaks to all of those things. So recession, journalists under pressure from home, but also under pressure in Italy, in on on site in Spain, dealing with dealing with the with with with, with the team and the squad and the, and the management and so on, it's all it's all intertwined. Like I mean, at this point, it's worth pointing out actually that at this point now, I mean, you mentioned Cameroon six draws. Like Italy have only won one of their previous nine games now, going into the second phase of the World Cup, and that was a one nil win over Luxembourg. They've had six draws and they lost two friendlies to France and East Germany. So they're in an awful way. Like Beerzat's under severe pressure. Now I'm sure we'll talk about Beerzat another day. So we probably parked that. But like he's a guy, very just to say it in a very short way, he's a guy who would have always been there would have been question marks whether he had enough managerial experience at the very top level to be managing Italy. Uh he was more of a kind of a an how would you put it? He was a national coach guy. Uh he was with teams all the way up. But uh there's there's the Italian Andy Rocks. Uh, totally. Under twenty threes. Uh, assistant to the coach at 70 and 74 World Cup takes over 78 and he's still there in 82 um, but there's a lot going on now with the Italians a lot going on um, like Paolo Rossi obviously as we've discussed before is his big gamble like the guy who's been out for two years uh, banned uh, is back playing not scoring provided the assist for the Graziani goal but really wasn't in the game otherwise he's already been tormented by questions all the journalists are asking him, are, are you okay? I, I think this is a weird question. When are you going to start scoring again? Like, you know, like it's a tap. And what was it like being banned for two years? So so he actually instigates his own personal press ban, right? That's the first thing that happens here, just because I'm not answering any more questions. Then during a training session, some fans who were there started screaming ridiculous at him, started calling him names and stuff. Graziani went over to try and intervene and Bears I got involved in it. It didn't end well. Um... And the whole thing is starting to mess. And then there's a very, very strange episode is the only way I can describe it. Um, so an article appeared in an Italian newspaper called Il Giorni that said 
and I'm obviously paraphrasing the Italian here, but said that Paolo Rossi, who was sharing a room with Antonio Cabrini, an old friend as well as a teammate, that they slept in the same room almost as wife and husband. So this went down. This became a story. And I'm going to hand over to Antonio Cabrini at this point. And again, I've translated this. This is translated from Italian. So I'm going to take extreme care with this. But Cabrini explained, he said that every morning under our window, the journalist spoke because it was a press conference. So I presume he means that they would congregate in that area before the press conference. So that that this particular morning, Paolo and I were at the window. We had just woken up. So we weren't flowers, he says. Our eyes looked sleepy. At that point, a journalist made a joke. She was very ironic and witty and said, which of the two is a girl? And Paolo said, being less handsome, Antonio does the muchacha and I do the boy. Now, he wrote some journalists wrote this in the newspaper to make it different from usual sports and news. Again, I'm paraphrasing Cabrini here. And this triggered the scandal. But he says, but there were already big problems with the press. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. For a second there, when you said, I'm going to hand over to Antonio Cabrini, I thought you'd landed the biggest guest in the history of one day. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I tell you, if he ever hears this episode, he might want to come on just to clear things up. But um, I, the, the scene they, sounds so, like they should have been playing Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet in the background. I know. But suddenly, <laughs> so suddenly what we have now in the middle of all of this is an implication that Cabrini and Rossi are having an affair. And it's a genuine story that goes around. Um so, like, I mean, even there was a tribute. So Paolo Rossi, unfortunately, is no longer with us. So journalists, when they were writing tributes, one journalist wrote how an Italian journalist wrote that Rossi and Cabrini were holding hands in the balcony like two sweethearts. It was an innocent joke, but there is no innocence in the communication of a World Cup. So somewhere in the middle of all that is, is what occurred. Um, like, it went so far as that when Brazil, who have already qualified for the second phase, as we know, before they ever played New Zealand, they landed in Barcelona to prepare for the second phase. Soccer, some Italian journalists went out to cover the event because it's Italy are now in their group. Uh, and Socrates asked, asked one of them, is it true that Rossi and Cabrini are maracones, are, are gay, are, are a gay couple? Like, it went, it went to that point. But as Cabrini, pointed, as Cabrini mentioned, there are much, much bigger issues, much, much bigger issues bothering the squad, namely bonuses and the amount of money that they are apparently being paid per match. That is not going down well at home. And that's not going down well at home because of all the things we've talked about. There's a recession, there's, um, you know, the big one of the biggest banks in the country has failed, leaving the economy in chaos. So people are feeling the pinch, and what they're hearing about is the national heroes, those who are privileged enough to be in the the Azuri, demanding money. The numbers that I've seen. So for the first round, it was it was suggested that we're earning somewhere between sixty to eighty million lira per game. And then they were going to, that was going to go up to 95 million lira for the second phase. And if they won the whole thing, it was 180 million lira a man. Now, that's extraordinary money, like even then. And if, you know, if you translate it up to now, it's, it's, it's ginormous money. Um, whether it's true or not, the players, were, the players weren't really buying it or they weren't having it like that, that it was the case. But um, this was the thing. There was questions in the Italian parliament about the match bonuses. What's going on? Is this true? And of course, they've seen them draw three games in a pretty poor way. So, I mean, the vibe, the vibe is so, so bad now. You would presume the bonuses only apply if they're winning. So actually, 
The, the Italian FA well, are giving some dough here. They're, they've gotten through to the next round without winning no, the game. I don't think, no, I don't think they were. I think that was their, that was their flat rate. Like that was, uh, that was the implication anyway. So what happens anyway, in the heel of the hunt after this Cameroonian game, the players, the players um, basically impose a, 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 a press ban. We don't hear from them again. Um, so from now on, it's Dino's off is sent out to do all the chatting. You had Dino's off was effectively now put out in front of the press and he wouldn't have been comfortable doing that on his own either. Uh, and indeed, at the first press conference, you know, the first thing he addresses is this issue of the bonuses. Are they getting this amount of money or not? And he said, it's not true that we will take these prizes just as many other things are not true. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We know that we will not gain anything from this action, i.e. the press blackout. Ours is not an attack, but a simple defence. We must defend the tranquility we need. Democracy is also the right to keep quiet. Well, there you go. That's a pub conversation, if ever there was one. It's sort of, I don't know if it's counterproductive or not, but they feel it's the only way they have to go now. Um, so they're shutting down, they're shutting everything down, uh, and they're just, they're just going to keep everything in-house and, and see how they get on. And for those of you struggling with currency conversion, a copy of Shoot in 1982 in Italy was 1,700 lira. So you can figure out how many issues you could buy with your bonus. Yeah. Well, there you have it. They move on to the next round where Brazil await and, uh, spoiler alert, Argentina await. Oh, actually, uh, so now, 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 after all, I was so disheartened by this day's matches. And now you've made me go, ah, can't wait till we get to the next group stage. <laughs> I know <laughs> what a group stage that is insane uh, Poland top that group then as we round it off with four points Italy with second place three points goal difference getting them through not just goal difference goal scored two goals for two goals against Cameroon one goal for one goal against and Peru oh that 5-1 defeat that left them rock bottom and heading home next game Argentina 2, El Salvador 0. 9 o'clock kickoff, Argentina versus El Salvador. Let's not spend too long on this one. Yeah, let's not because it's bad. But I, like, I was, I was kind of, myself and Billy Joe didn't speak about which games we were going to focus on them on, but I feel like Billy Joe has watched every single Maradona game there ever was, or at least read about them. And I think he knew, he knew this is the one time where Maradona truly was not great, really, to be honest. Now, he was hacked out of it, of course, and he was marked out of it and couldn't move and yada, yada, yada. But also, when he did have the ball, he just... The biggest impact he has in the game is giving um, a hug to Mario Kempes. Like it's the only standout moment from Maradona in this game. Well, I, I have to refer back to my uh, reference point for all things World Cup in the 80s. And it is the KTEL video of all the goals in the 1982 World Cup. And as we established a couple of weeks ago, it's a young Martin Tyler that's given the commentary. And I think in his two-minute clip, he describes the game very well when he basically... Uh, Details how the El Salvadorians, if that's what you call them, have learned uh, that they're not going to take a beating like that again. So instead of taking a beating, they're going to dish out a beating, basically. And and they're very physical uh, to, to such an extent, Rob, they're even physical with the referee. Oh, my God. Stage. The reaction to the penalty. How is there not four red cards oh, there? Lads. 
It was Roy Keane, Manchester United <laughs> peak stuff, like just chasing the referee around the place. Yes, bumps. And like there was a headbutt in there. I'm sure to check it back, but I'm pretty sure there was a headbutt in there. And he didn't get the yellow card. Someone got a yellow card. Uh, but my God. Hey, look, it probably wasn't a penalty. I don't know. Was it a penalty? I thought, I, I thought so. No? Uh, yeah, it, pro- it, pro- it probably was. But you know what I say about the penalty? It's the most Daniel Passarella penalty ever. He just goes straight back from it. He's going to hit it with his left foot. None of this nonsense with a long haircut. He's a short oh, back oh, inside. Billy Joe he's, he's, he's moving back. back. He's, he's gone back. back. He's, gonna, he's just going to come up. And you, how did goalkeeper? He is just going to try and put me through the net. And when you see the camera angle from behind the goals, it's as straight as a die. If it had, if the goalkeeper had stood up, it probably would have hit him in the chest, and he would have had an instant heart attack that he hit it that hard. <laughs> It's a daisy cutter. It's so an absolute it, daisy cutter. It's a bog toe daisy yeah. cutter. It's down the middle. No, it's 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 definitely about two feet off the ground at least. It goes in. It goes in normal height at the, at the net, but it's it's an absolute sledgehammer <laughs> of a left foot shot. Billy Joe just left there. Billy Joe just went out to the to the hall to get a good run at that answer there. It was, it was you, again. I go back. You know the strength of the point by the amount of. It sounds like that old version of the banana boat song where they have the lads going out. Deo! Go, go out there and do it outside. I love the idea that someone is such an avid listener to our podcast, and that's enough. That actually just pause that. That's actually I like that idea. But I was leaving yeah. that aside. I love the idea that they would be such an avid listener that they know to turn it up just when there's a good goal being described. <laughs> turn it up a little bit. Turn it up. Turn it up. There he is. Got him. Perfect. That, that, that was only a penalty, but it's just I like I, I'm a I, I'm a man of routine. If you're if if you're Daniel Passarella and you're known as a hard man, you're going to hit the ball hard. Do Daniel Passarella sort of things. He gets a penalty and he smashes it. You didn't you didn't watch the game in detail, but while you're on the roll, describe the Bertoni goal. Is that a goal that I can really enjoy? Or do I have to acknowledge the fact that the defenders just let him like waltz by them a little bit as well? I know you do. It's a great goal. It, it really is. I, and I have to say, I really enjoyed Bertoni's play. You know, there was a, in the Hungary game as well. Look, Maradona's the star of that show. Everyone should go back and watch that. It, I mean, everyone that likes football should watch that game. But just for Maradona alone. But, um, and there, there are other good players that we went through that made contributions to that. But uh, Bertoni is persistent. Um, again, Martin Tyler uh, in that KTL video, the reference that all Bertoni has learned uh, at Fiorentina because he's now playing in Italy. But what I like about that, he cuts inside one. He's he's faced up by two defenders. He cuts inside one and moves in field onto his left foot. He's confronted with the second defender. He pulls the exact same move again. And by the time he beats the second guy, the first fella has run around and yes. the first fella falls for the same dummy he's, again. The same right. thing again. He comes inside again. So he's beaten. He's beaten. He's if this was two, a movie, they're running, they're running out of extras. They're using the same extra. <laughs> like he, he's beaten two players three times, if that makes sense. Like and then that, he yeah. realizes he's he's coming central, and he just doesn't hit the ball too hard. Curls a beautiful left footer shot into the far corner, away from the goalkeeper. It's a really brilliant good finish. Um, brilliant movement. Questionable defending, perhaps. Um, but is there an Argentinian player offside? It looked to me like there was an Argentinian player ahead of all of those El Salvador defenders. And it, it had, you know what it reminded me of? Because he's worked into the same side that he had won the penalty from previously, realizes that that's cut off, and then he starts to move sideways. It's like when you see a great rugby player move across a line looking for a gap and then go through it. Yeah. He's actually having a very good tournament. He, you know, I would say take the Belgian game out of it for all of them. 
the first game where they lost. Like he was, he, Bertoni, you know, in the shadow of Maradona's incredibleness, if that's a word, um, Bertoni had a great game that night and he's he he's had a decent game again tonight and he scored a great goal. Like so, you know, signs on, the boys are in good shape. By the way, did Rob you were you you watched probably closer than the rest of it. Did you did the did the cameras I didn't see any banners in the stadium, but apparently there was a lot of anti British and American banners in the stadium for obvious reasons. I- I didn't uh, pick up any of that, but I picked up that there were more Argentinian fans than I realized in the first two games. Like there's a lot of Mm. clear cut Argentinian chanting and it's that kind of not really interested in the game. Like they weren't bothered by the fact that, you know, they probably expected to win 7-0 and they were only winning 2-0. I think, yeah, there was, there was, there was chanting and stuff that suggested to me what you're talking about, but no, didn't pick up any of the banners. Before we move on, I do feel like we might need to explain what KTEL was. Because Billy Joe references it so often. KTEL was a was a real product of the seventies and eighties. Like their speciality was compilation albums, compilation videos. Um, obviously that business didn't survive the digital age. I I found a, a twenty thirteen article from Forbes magazine that describes it as the Spotify of the seventies. That's where you found your oh, music geez. first. I think I that was, from yeah. too much. Um, praise, but it's still in existence as a company. Um, having been formed whatever number of years back in Alberta, Canada, so that and they now live off the profits from their music that they purchased over the years, back catalogs being used on TV shows. KTL, we had a, we had a lot of they were and the, the vinyl was so light, they were like frisbees, they really were. But they were all in our house. They were all. I remember there was one twenty tone and country greats had it had Jackson by Johnny Cash on it. It had Big Bad John, which you would have heard on an ad years later for for Bleach, uh, and a few other Rose Garden. Jesus Christ! You know all those hipster bars that have vinyl on the walls. I'd imagine when they're purchasing those, they go for KTL because it is cheap oh, yeah. and plastic. Yeah. Uh, no question. What's an ad? Our listeners will be saying. <laughs> Mick, uh, what about uh, what about Magico Gonzalez? Uh, here we go. Off you go. Go on. What about him? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I didn't We're do a Salvador. I didn't do a Salvador. Um, that was, uh, oh, that's okay. That was no, I didn't know. do a Salvador game before, so I didn't know whether or not uh, we will get any airtime. Yeah. But uh, tell our listeners. You know, we know obviously, but tell our listeners all about him. Maradona described him as one of the finest number 10s he'd ever played against but of more interest to me is that later I think after the World Cup he moved to Spain and mm-hmm. uh, Mick Foley's kind of looking at me here like I'm talking about the wrong guy no 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 not at all. <laughs> no he, he later went to Spain but this is the part that I know Billy would be uh, interested in as well and he was over back to a couple of clubs. Cadiz been one of them. I think he started with Cadiz and he ended with Cadiz. But uh, given how it went the first time, uh, they, they'd they only pay him per game uh, the second time due to his excessive party. And oh, I just really? want to, I want to know more about that. I know it's a different, I know it's a different podcast, but uh, I mean, with a name like Magical Gonzalez, how, how could it be any Perhaps different? Perhaps Maradona was talking uh, about yeah. his partying ability. <laughs> yeah, ability. Exactly. Maybe number 10 meant something else, you know. That explains that explains a lot there, all right, yeah. But it was funny, like, I mean, just before we do move on, like, it is worth actually just kind of, the poor old El Salvadorans are leaving, like, you know, really, 
you know, it starts with them wanting to be like a 4-2-4 all-out attacking team and they end basically, you know, kicking Argentina to a pulp, which kind of tells you a lot about their journey through the World Cup from 10-1 to this. But like, you know, when they go home, it's, you know, again, to kind of channel our own experiences, like it's not like uh, Ireland in 1990 coming home to hundreds of thousands of people cheering them on the streets. A lot of these Salvadorans, you know, they were, you know, they struggled. They struggled with their football careers afterwards, and they struggled with the reaction of the people as well. Uh, and even more, like who obviously concedes ten goals against Hungary, does okay against Belgium, and does and does all right again in this. He, he gets a he gets a move to Murcia in Spain, um, but doesn't last very long there. Comes back and actually says afterwards that he did receive threats of violence, and it took him about five years to settle back in El Salvador among his own people to feel comfortable that you know they weren't kind of laughing or whatever. And a lot of his teammates apparently felt the same. Uh, as we've mentioned before, the coach never coaches again, goes off and becomes an engineer. Um, so, you know, it's tough. It's tough on them, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's their first World Cup as well. And and it's, you know, it's not all, it's not all kind of hero worship when you come home and aren't you great, you know? Like every good Disney movie, there is a happy ending, isn't there? There's a nice ending, yeah. So in 2007, um, 25 years on from the Hungarian humiliation, the 10, the 10 goals, um, the Salvadoran Association decided that they would move towards the uh, anniversary rather than shy away from it. And they, they organised a friendly against Hungary and they featured several of the players who had played in the game. Um, and Hungary did go 2-0 up. But luckily, the, uh, the El Salvadorans kind of galvanised themselves this time and uh, Ramiro, Ramirez came off the bench uh, and scored twice. Uh, and El Magico, that Colin mentioned there, he said, the draw meant a great deal to us psychologically speaking. It was wonderful to finally be able to make it up to our supporters. And apparently he was very emotional about the whole thing. So, you know. I said, just a guess, but I assume that game took place in El Salvador and there might have been a, a, a more supportive environment for them. <laughs> Like well, they had footballs before the warm-up and stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. They weren't sitting in a hunting lodge in the middle of nowhere cooking their own dinners and going out to the roadside mm. diners to try and replenish themselves and, and you know, using gear from the 1974 World Cup. Yes, all true, Rob. Probably all true. My dream podcast guest you were talking about that earlier is one of the hotel waiters that played against them in the uh, friendly in the lead up to game two. In that replenishing game, in then that in that bounce yeah. back game He's where they been... nearly got one of the waiters fired because he called some other fella on the El Salvadoran team. And I want to talk to that guy. That's the guy. Talk to our agent. Get that guy. What do you mean you have Zico? No. How do you have Zico? This is really more important. We need a waiver from a hunting lodge in Alicante. This this is turning into some show. We've had Cabrini and potentially Zico and now the waiter. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be quite the, quite the, uh, yeah, let's not even go there. All right, game three, moving on. Say goodbye to El Salvador. One goal for 13 goals against. I'm not sure they deserve to get to the next round, although I'm sure Colin was about to make a case for them, but let's not let him. Moving on. Brazil 4 New Zealand nil. Game number 3 of the day And you know what It didn't really matter Did no, it Kira? Absolute Tell me Did it matter? Rubber. No. New, Zealand, or New Zealand are out Brazil are through So Brazil rested everyone right? Well that, right? that Funny enough no. That's what the expectation was But he went with their strongest team mm-hmm. and the New Zealanders were delighted because they'd been delighted with the draw. They were looking forward to the challenge of being in this group. 
And um, I've read some quotes from their coaching staff and it was all about, yeah, knew they weren't going to be winning, but wanted to test themselves, see could they close down space against better teams. And they did that for 26, 27 minutes. You know what I mean? They they put pressure on Brazil. They didn't give them any clear-cut opportunities, although the passing and movement, like, wow. Like, it's just every time you watch them. I know I joked the last day that this was probably going to be like them playing against mannequins. It, it was a bigger challenge than that, but... They approached it with exactly the same degree of endeavor as they had the previous two games. Like, Brazil aren't on the ball passing and stopping to see what happens with the ball. They're moving to take the next pass. And, like, in each of the goals that they score in this game, I think three of them, like the person that starts the play, ends up finishing with the ball in the net. You know, like that's... If if I had to describe this Brazilian team to a kid now, I'd say, look, that's what sets them apart from every other team we've seen in the last 30, 40 years. They just didn't have a pause button. When, when I think of, I suppose, great players and particularly great players that play in World Cups, you, I always found it difficult with this team because you, you, you think that, oh, look, it's this, this four or five wonderful players there and the, the real strength of this team is the interplay and the way they interact together. Um, so you, you, for, for me, this Brazil team, you, it, there's no standout like a Platini and the French teams or even a Zidane and that team, obviously Maradona and, and what he's done for Argentina World Cups. But... Today, this game is all about Zico for me. I, I just think he's absolutely outstanding in, in this one. And I just, I think he's a player that is underappreciated in, in this part of the world because he didn't play for one of the big Italian clubs, only played for Udinese. So there's no retro flipping jersey knocking around AC Milan with a flipping number on the back. Um, you know, did all his best work in 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 Brazil, his coaching career thereafter, or even as a personality, he didn't get the Gianluca Vialli or the Rude Hullet treatment in England. Uh, was it was, went to Japan? Exactly. Yeah, he he played in Japan, so so far away from from what we're used to. But I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. Like you got a bit of everything from him in this game. And you take this first goal where the ball is played in from the right side. It's not really a bicycle kick it's not really a scissors kick it's just it's a weird sort of acrobatic volley that you just know he's going to make a good contact and he puts it in and to your point Kieran, the second goal he actually starts the move into the center circle plays a perfect pass 10 yards out in front of i can't remember who was out there was a socrates or was a luzinho socrates. Socrates. Yeah, and then he's got leandro coming out uh, overlapping yeah and then he makes his way to the penalty spot so he goes from center circle to penalty spot and he, you know, two more passes in between and then he passes it into the into the far corner. Absolute, absolutely outstanding. For for Falcao's goal, he plays a first touch pass that's out of this world. And for Serginho's goal, he makes two touches that are unbelievable as well. It's You could just talk about his contribution in this game. And, and he also has a couple of headers, a couple of bicycle kicks, a couple of near misses, yeah. a backheeled attempt inside the box. <laughs> from a knockdown by Serginho. I mean, I don't want to understate the first goal because the ball is put in the only place you could put it because there was four New Zealand defenders there. It bypasses four defenders and he's just kind of overshot the runway. The only way he can score from it 
because he's he's had to turn, put his back to goal, is to attempt the bicycle kick. And he just kind of caresses it into the corner. The second goal, you're lock, you're looking at it at first and you're going, did he take a, a touch there? Because it looks so subtle. It looks like he took, took a touch for control and then placed it. But actually, it's first time. When you see it on the replay from behind the goal, it's a first time smooth strike way beyond the keeper. Um, and look, Sergio, the much maligned Sergio, when he eventually gets his goal, it's like, I'm trying to find an analogy, but like the build-up play to it is just beautiful. And then the goal itself is kind of brutal. It's it's like having a really ugly top on the Eiffel Tower. He has great footwork though for that, does he? Zico has unbelievable footwork just to fool the New Zealand defender to make the little inch of space just to square it across for, for Serginio to kind of... I don't know, snow plow the ball over the line, like it's kind of a, a <laughs> slots it in, like, but you know, compared to, compared to the artistry that's gone, basically compared to the artistry that's gone before, he's arrived in with a bucket of emulsion to finish off the job at the end, like, but look, it's a goal, it's a goal, it's a goal. <laughs> and, it's, and it's his but, first, and look, um, obviously we've had Kevin on the last day. <laughs> he was fairly damning of of Sergio's contribution. The New Zealanders are too. Like, There's a quote afterwards from Frank Van Atten, the, the goalkeeper, who says, the biggest disappointment for us was that Sergio scored. <laughs> Basically, John Edge said the manager's uh, perception of Brazil beforehand was nine of them move everywhere and the goalkeeper and Sergio stand still. Um, and I mean... I love it. How many Brazilian players would get on our team? How many? All, all, not all of them. Serginho wouldn't make the New Zealand team. That's what they reckon. I mean, <laughs> like for Serginho, he holds his position with purpose. It creates space for others. Like he is attracting often one or two of the defenders on the other team. And that is creating the space for all that movement by the other players. So I, I do think he is over maligned. It's not like they had a dozen other options to play in his position. I think, um, and it goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier, I, I think for a lot of us growing up watching, or hearing an awful lot about Brazil, um, but our reference points in real time weren't what we thought they should be, like 1990, 94. Um, so when you actually go back and, and look at this tournament, and this game, is there's an element of the Harlem Globetrotters about them. Uh, but it's done without kind of arrogance as much as it's just nearly artistry. Um, so this game was actually fun to watch for that reason because they're actually doing very Brazilian things, doing it really, really well. There's a joy about what they're doing. They, and New Zealand aren't giving it the El Salvadorian treatment either, which helps the whole thing. Um, I would also say, though, I would also say, not to bring Cameroon back into this, there's an element of the, the Cameroonian-style shooting uh, to a bit of the Brazilian play. Uh, they do kind of tend to, you know, they, there's a bit of hubris here. You know, they're just shooting from anywhere it's at one point or another. Obviously, there's the doubt the abilities of the New Zealand keeper. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not trying to bring Cameroon back into this conversation. I, I was delighted to watch this. Enjoy great Brazilian football. Zico was majestic. And uh, yeah, I guess I'd be the Serginho of the outfit, but that's fine. We'll move on. All right, I'll ask it. Billy Joe, wh- like, why, why didn't they rest more players? Like, as in, in modern parlance, 
Like, why do they want to go out and express themselves like that? What is it about them? And like, you must be a joy to know that they do that. But was it risky? Should they have given a few lads a bit of a break? Well, I suppose time will tell uh, in that mm-hmm. we'll get to watch the, the remaining games. We'll get to see whether we think fatigue was a problem in any in any of those. I, I, I think that I think that when you're in a team that has obviously started the World Cup so well, you know, everyone at this stage thinks this is the this is Brazil's tournament to lose. They're just so far and away above anything else we've seen in just terms of the interplay, in terms of individual performances, that you sometimes you just want to keep it rolling. Just let's keep it rolling. And they're enjoying themselves. If you think about the team themselves, Serginho has now got a goal and everyone hates him, even though I think we're all being a bit harsh on him. Like, I, I do a, too. A I, has, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Serginho, by the way, but just, you know, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, I suppose he gets belittled a lot, but, but, um, you know, he'd have fine club career in, in Brazil, but but and that's neither here nor there. The point I'm trying to make is that some of the, the players, Falcao has scored a screamer already. Socrates has scored a screamer. Adair has scored a, a couple of screamers already. Zico has scored a bicycle kick for God's sake. You know, these these players are in absolute top form, and you just want to you just want to let them play and keep them rolling, keep them in that that form. And it's it's all just because they want to get on that KTL video. <laughs> <laughs> And here's the other thing, right? Like, you know, we're talking about a team of unbelievable technical ability, okay? And Serginho is continually described as a donkey, right? He's only a donkey relative to what's around him. Like, his actual touch and his abilities are really, are really impressive. I mean, he sets up a lovely goal uh, against Scotland, kind of just guides it over. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a good footballer. Like, but he just... He's just been, he's been given this this particular role. Like there's always been this thing that he was that Kareka, the famous Kareka, who of course comes through in 1986, was actually the original choice and got and got injured in the run up. They weren't going to pick another striker called Ronaldo, who apparently he had a what is described in dispatches as a bohemian cosmopolitan sort of lifestyle that they didn't fancy bringing him along. Now, the Kareka thing, I, I'm not so sure is that true or not. I don't know. Can we put any meat on the bones of that? But but um, it seems like Serginho kind of was just kind of ended up in a situation where he was the first choice striker when they really, you know, you have the midfield of all talents, but you're just caught for somebody to kind of just hold the ball up front, you know? The funny thing about the lead up to this game is, much like the Italians, the Brazilians have a press blackout. When you're talking about countries the size of Italy, Brazil, there's huge commercial concerns around what they're doing. And in Brazil, TV Globo, is the biggest TV station in Latin America. And they're, they're pinning everything on being able to hitch their wagon to Brazil in this tournament. So the press blackout has a decided impact on them. And their solution was to turn to John Atchett, the New Zealand manager, and ask them, any chance we can come in and get some access with New Zealand before the game so we have something to show beforehand? And he was just, sure. Come on in, let them into the dressing rooms, let them watch the entire training session. Um, I'm not sure if Santana had access to, to TV Globo while he was in Spain, but he'd certainly gained some insight because the New Zealand team became celebrities in Brazil on the back of being so open in this broadcast. And actually, the day after this, when before they head home, TV Globo throw them a party. <laughs> 
TV Globo uh, blow my mind in this coverage. Billy Joe, I think you're going to chime in on that. But like, I was going to ask what is the topper, and then I realised that I think it's actually the brand or the company that's, that made the that's Brazilian right. shirt. And they made the '86 variation as well. It's a, it's a Brazilian sportswear company, and actually today is one of the the weirder days because we've had you. Did, did anyone see who made the Italian jerseys? Didn't cop it. No. no so, so still in that period where they don't wear the logo, and there's no logo on Cameroon's either, from what I can see. Um, oh, yeah. So I actually went to check who made all the jerseys for the teams at this World Cup. Um, Good man. In nineteen eighty, in nineteen sixty six, mm-hmm. I think all bar one were made by Umbro purely because it being in England, they just provided kit for all the teams attending. But by now we're into a commercial era, so we've got two absolutely iconic sets of gear made by Admiral, which are for Belgium and England. We've got two Puma teams. Who do you think those were? I, I would guess Cameroon was a Puma team. Actually wasn't. A hung- a hu- hungry or hungry? No, Adidas. Austria. Austria was one. Uh, West Germany? The other was Kuwait. So, oh, and actually Cameroon's jersey is the third kit in this tournament made by Le Coq Sportif. So Italy, Argentina and Cameroon are Le Coq Sportif. Assuming that what I'm looking at now is correct, yeah. and I will assume it is. So there's a couple of brands I can't recognise, so I'd imagine Peru were wearing one that wasn't sure about... Uh, as were Algeria, they're probably local brands. Scotland, and this will show Umbro's decline in 16 years, were the only team wearing Umbro. And then you had 13 wearing Adidas. So this is the beginning of Adidas's influence. Something else, the official ball is Adidas. It's the Adidas Tango. We've mentioned it several times. I may be wrong, but I'm certain that's... uh, Well, uh, I may be wrong, but didn't Sepp Blatter start his career prior to FIFA in Adidas. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right there. So, I'm sure there's no connection whatsoever with yeah, that. Though. That's, just, that's just the way stuff goes. You yeah, know? It's, there's, there's no commercial influences coming in on this World Cup as a result of FIFA no. officials. It wouldn't be a style, it, it, to be honest. It's, um, it, 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 it's an iconic football, though. It is. And oh, that's, it's a gorgeous it, thing. It, it, the, the design on it, it, it is, it's, it's fantastic. So. Just just back onto the TV coverage. Look at this TV coverage here. I'm showing you, Kieran. You can bring on it. This is like Edison, I think, coming on for Brazil. And then we're going to go straight to the crowd where the reporter is in the crowd with fans. This is 1982, and they have roving radio mic reporters in the middle of the crowd during the game. I, I'm impressed. Yeah, impressed. again, TV Global, big broadcaster, big budget, big country. But 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 even the advertising, you know, we're, we were laughing about the topper and the brands and and that. Like, there's a Volkswagen ad at least once each half, maybe twice yeah. each half, following a goal kick. You know, so there was about three brands that were associated with the broadcast and were uh, somebody, some, somebody, some producer was deciding when to roll the ad, the ad. Uh, but I, I have to say, I did enjoy the commentator as well. I, I love the fact that he emphasized, particularly Cerezo. Yeah, at certain times when maybe when Cerezo was doing something more impressive, he gave him his, you know, not his full title because his full title probably had about eight, eight words in, in it. But he'd go, Tonino Cerezo, Cerezo, Tonino Cerezo, and uh, emphasize it. It was uh, interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, that's Luciano Duval. I actually did a bit of research on him. He his voice was in in the build up as well. I was I was really impressed. I love that voice, that deep deep Brazilian voice. It's superb. And Cerezo actually is really prominent in this game. Like, and again, just probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because we're so wrapped up watching Zico today, Socrates Falcao. Yeah. Like, it's just um, like Colin said, it they, they could have been the Harlem Globetrotters in every sense in this game. They were in the sense of how they played, but they didn't show that kind of um, arrogance that you associate with. With watching something like the Harlem Globetrotters, we see they're so they're so rooted and grounded, and we've seen this even even in the first three group games, like just the way that they just keep following the process. They went, when they went behind against Scotland and the Soviets, they just kept playing and playing total total faith in what they were doing. But here's a question for you: Now, you know, I know this is hard because because we, you know, I mean, you'd want to be hiding under a rock not to know what happens to Brazil next in this tournament, but. Like, if you could put yourself back in 1982, at this point, three games in, and, yeah, and you're kind of trying to figure out, well, where, where are Brazil at? And it sounds ridiculous. They've absolutely skated through. But still in all, like, would you be thinking, oh, yeah, there's absolutely no one to touch them? Or would you be going, Jesus, have they shot their boat a bit early? Where would you be thinking? Where, where would you be putting them at the moment? Well, well, well I, I think that if you're taking it at the time and... and uh, tournament football back you know in 82 and 78 you know wasn't as you didn't have as many games so i i think that if you're watching that game that at the time you're thinking yeah they're the best team they're in form it's a short period you know you four you're four or five games or whatever whatever it is to to win it maybe six and whereas now you know we've just we're just more used to a team starting slowly and maybe this 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 World Cup is the start of that, where a team starts slowly, gain, gains momentum, improves as you go along, learn a bit about themselves along the way. Um, so I think teams now that if you start too fast, you become it nearly gets into the back of your mind that you say this is not how you win a World Cup because you have to gradually get get better. And like I suppose you can think of many examples like that, maybe Argentina in 06, uh, where they were outstanding. In, in Germany and then kind of went out on penalties, I think, to Germany in, in their quarterfinal or semifinal stage where they had been brilliant in the group stages as well. You touched on it earlier on, Billy Joe, when Rob asked you about, you know, why did he not change the team? Um, and you've also referred to Brazil's play as art. It seems with this team, there's, there's two factors in today's play. One is that they didn't want to break a winning rhythm. Two is they see a higher purpose to how they play. They are trying to entertain. They, it's not enough to win. They want to do it in style. And, and I'd say that's why you didn't change the team. I'd say it's one, respect the opponent. Two, let's not break a rhythm. Let's use this so that we go into the next stage with momentum. Um, but I mean, in, after the previous round, we said you're looking at Argentina-Brazil final. You're not looking at Argentina being in that mix-up now because... What today shows us is inconsistency. In two of their three group stage games, they've been abject. Brazil look like the team in form. England look like a team in form. Italy, you're writing off completely at this point, I would have thought. Like, I think we're looking at Brazil saying this might be something of a procession if you're watching at this stage. 
It's a couple of quotes from the papers. Jock Steen said of this group that it's done an awful lot for the good of the game uh, in terms of the quality of football in it. And uh, here's a quote from Pele when you ask about who their main rivals are. And he says, West Germany uh, as a side are Karl-Heinz Rummenigger and two and 10 robots is what he says. So like it just shows you the mentality. They didn't even fear the likes of West Germany. They certainly weren't going to fear Italy, France. Not yet. I mean, and in 1982, like robots are. <laughs> What's the name of the one in, in Book Rogers? I think Germany might be a little bit better than that. It sounds like Pele might harbor some um, long seated resentment. Just on New Zealand, because again, they're another debutante. I was thinking today, like, what's the legacy of this World Cup for New Zealand? Because the aim in expanding it and letting in, you know, creating simpler routes for teams in other parts of the globe was to create legacy, to create interest in the sport. I think the legacy of New Zealand's participation in 1982 is actually the Rugby World Cup because I would ah. suggest that with New Zealand having qualified and Australia knowing that probably nine times out of ten they're going to have a better football team than New Zealand. I would think the two rugby unions in New Zealand and Australia begin to think if a team from Oceania keeps qualifying, this could do damage to our own sport. Actually, the next year is when Australia called for a Rugby World Cup. The following, I think two years later, New Zealand backed that up. And then in 1987, we get the Rugby World Cup. And I'd say it's because they're afraid of the growth of the world game. Mm. And it's come to pass because if you look at it now, what are we, 40 years later? Australia might have won two of those Rugby World Cups, but... I've just realised Harry Cavan is a rugby fan. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> the, but the, what I'm going to apply is Australian soccer is far bigger now than Rugby Union. Far bigger. If you look at they have a professional league with far more teams and players than Rugby Union has in Australia. You've seen South Africa leave the Sanzar Nations and come into European rugby effectively. Australian Rugby Union is in crisis, having sought to institute a World Cup. And what's caught up with it and passed it out is soccer because it did come to pass that New Zealand and Australia, particularly Australia, would qualify for subsequent World Cups and that would grow the game in popularity. Time for team of the day. I don't think any New Zealanders or NA El Salvadorians made it. Oh, well, no, the poor old El Salvadorians. What about Mexico? I think this could be, I think if you pick this team right, this could be the partiest football team that ever partied. I really do. All right. Uh, Let's actually do it. That's it. We we, we don't have to pick it. Yeah. Huh? Mexico Mexico in in then. Well, I mean, if Maradona says he's one of the 10 best footballers he ever saw. I'm 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 all on 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 magical magical. Jeez, imagine having. I mean, I know Maradona didn't go great today, but imagine having Maradona, Socrates, magical in the one team. I mean, that's the start of a good team night out if ever there was one. All right, let's 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 apply yeah, some yeah, logic here. Out with them, We're going to give you driving seat. What's your formation? Oh God! I was going to get. I was going to say Colin do the driving seat on this one. Okay, let's put Colin on the driving. Yeah, yeah. Fairness, fairness, this, usually, this is the first day ever. <laughs> I think he didn't have nil nil draws. So, Colin, we've delivered. How many goals today? Uh, we have delivered. Uh, yeah, we've delivered a few. Yeah. Um, 
I'd be thinking of a five, uh, five, four, two, one. Yeah. Five four two. Five four two. That's a yeah, lot that's of words. Yeah, yeah. You're being the goalie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boys, oh boys, come on. Come on. Thirteen Hey, by the way, if you want to pick if you want to pick the twelve Cameroonians, right. only eleven of them played. They didn't okay, actually look, use let's, let's, so I'm not meant to be Cameroon again. I would suggest I would propose, has to be in, doesn't he? I, I would propose a three five two. Three five two. Because it was, you know. We shall take your because Brazil we were run with it. I would say in corner. Thomas Encono is another one who gets who gets uh, whose career begins off of this. He goes, he gets a move to Espanyol off of this, the Cameroon goalkeeper, which begins a relationship. Like he he plays there for eight years and he's a coach for 20 years after that. So, you know, this is a huge, this has been a huge tournament for him. I think he's actually done really, really well. And he does play well in this one. Billy Joe mentioned in the in, in the goal, he slips. But I mean, geez, he does so much otherwise. And as you said, Billy, like they probably would have probably would have gone in anyway. So I, I would propose yeah. I would suggest Ancono unless unless more now from El Salvador did something amazing. He he look he did play well. I sorry I didn't get to mention that he played really really well. He made some great saves. There was one incredible save. I watched it four times. I think it was a Kempes. I can't remember, but it, they 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 said it was a, a, a goal kick, and I'd say he wanted the corner given because I think he got a touch on it. Uh, so yeah, he was good. There was a really good case, but I'm happy with Ancono getting it. Oh, back three. I'm going to suggest... Mm. Do you know who's actually intrigued me so far in this tournament a little bit when I've watched Italy is Gentile. Because mm-hmm. he hasn't so. been the brutal assassin that I thought, stroke, hoped he'd be. Um, like in this yeah. game in Cameroon, he was actually very... He was getting forward a lot and he had a couple of shots and stuff like that. He was a different sort of a different sort of a beast, you know? Um, still looks terrifying and all. But, you know... I'd, I, I'd suggest he might go in but you know whatever what three defenders do you fancy well no I think I think Gentile you, you, you play him you, you you probably like none of the Brazilian defenders had a, had a whole lot to do um, after that like the the, the 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 Italian defenders were probably more prominent just by the nature of the, the game the way the game played out Passarella um, I think, yeah yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. a good shout that's a good shout that's yeah him. yeah Cabrini, given he's having a rough old time with the press, to be fair, and you know he had a yeah. and, and and in all fairness, Mick, he's a terribly good-looking fella. He really is. Take a shout there for Leandro because I don't think. Yeah. Um, now, now I'm Ooh. talking about in, in the way he attacked. Like yeah, I, I think Leandro had a, had a brilliant game. I don't yeah, mind. I like the idea. I don't mind sticking him in. I mean, I think Luizinho had a great whole shot in that match as well, didn't he? I think Luizinho was having a very good tournament actually. The center, the, the center half of Brazil, but Leandro, that cross for Zico's glory goal, like, is just, yeah. just a thing of beauty. Really, is like right. We're on to midfield. Let's get the midfielders. I'm, I'm putting Falcao in there unless someone objects. Go from there. No, I, I, I think he arrived today. He, he, he arrived at the World Cup today. I think. Um, Socrates, I presume. It, does he not get into the team of the day every day they play? Mm-hmm. Basically, just turn up, just literally turn up, and you know he's obviously he's got a lot in his mind. He's heard this rumor about Rossi and Cabrini. He can't get to Barcelona fast enough to ask an Italian journalist, and still he comes out and performs in the way he does. I mean, credit to the lad. The, the way he runs is just 
Like, it's so languid. You know, you can genuinely, you could picture him playing the game with a cigarette and a bottle of beer and still getting to the pitch of each pass. Yeah. yeah. Straight in. Zico has to be in sure. Playing the forwards. Would you not put Zico on the forwards? In our two. Yeah, I, kind of like I kind of like the idea of Zico and Bertoni up front myself. What about Gian Carlo? Uh, and to... Anto. Antonioni. 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 I like this guy. I like yeah. this guy. High end. Yeah. I'll tell you, I t- I t- I'll tell you who Antonioni is for me. He's like watching Giannini at the 1990 World Cup. He's one of these guys that kind of just fell through the cracks. No, I don't know if he fell through the cracks. He did for me. Yeah. He's fabulous. I definitely have him. In. Oh, geez, lad. Central midfield of Antonioni, Socrates and Falcao. Faint. Where's my fainting chair? Where's my fainting coach? Now mm-hmm. the diff- the difficult part. I look. I think I'd be wholeheartedly in agreement with that. But but you know now you're having to pick sort of proper wide players because you know if you're if you're being true to your formation, you need to play players mm. out in the wide areas that can cover the full flank. Bertoni was kind of playing on the right flank for me, so yeah, I'd I'd go Bertoni on the right, and that's Conti has to be in this midfield. Would you not go? Bertoni, Conti, that's our five. Then God above, let's bottom midfield. They won't have to. They won't have to go. They won't have to track back because that's going to be like a a black hole of a midfield. Once the ball goes in there, it ain't ever coming back out again. Like you know, do you give the ball away? You ain't seen and it again. Also, also, when they're passing to Sergino up front, it's going to be like you know he's going to be finishing it <laughs> with a plum. Back heels all over the place. All right, so we're not putting Sergino up front, Rob. I hate to burst your bubble. Aww. He, like, uh-huh. seems fair. Do you know? Actually, as do you know one of the former? Is, we're former... not giving him a starting berth there. Zico's up top. Who's with them? El Magico. El Magico. Party like he El Magico. Right. He won't score a goal to be up there. I don't didn't know. Is, he, he, is, he, is there any other? Anything yeah. of him in this game? I don't think El Magico gets in here, I have to say. <laughs> All right. Look, he can be on the bench. Okay. He's, he's back in the bus organizing where they're going after the match. Oh, what a night it was going to be! <laughs> on the nature of the on the nature of the games that we just watched, Graziani is the only other forward that actually yeah. did anything. There you go, there you go, man. Billy Joe, the voice of reason, the voice of reason comes in there at the end. Colin, he's he ruined. He scored Colin, for he just, oh, Okay, Colin, <laughs> Colin, he's just ruined our fun. Like I know with his logic, always he t- he takes it too seriously, you know. Colin, you've got the job this week to tell us what's coming up tomorrow in day 12. You looked ahead. I did. I did. I, I did look ahead. And uh, let me tell you. Took a little sneak peek. This is one of the all-timers. Can I talk about it? Can I, can I preview it, Rob? Well, yeah. In I'm a not going to preview it. One of the all-timers. Don't ruin the episode. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Algeria-Chile is, is one of the great uh, games for many, many reasons. Um, from what happened before and after Algeria, one of the great stories of 1982 World Cup as well for me. So that's kind of the, um, that is top of the bill. We have France, Czechoslovakia as well, and we have Honduras and Yugoslavia. How am I sensing that I'm on Honduras, Yugoslavia the next Yeah, well, I think Colin's made a big, strong case to get Algeria, Chile, and he shall have it. I mean, I... All right, any other business there, gents? I thought, make you had something you wanted to tell us, didn't you? Well, it's all right. It's okay. No, no, I was just, I, I, I mean, I don't want to go back to Serginho for about the 27th time tonight, but 
uh, just when he was just when Rob was trying to push him into the team there, just reminded me that uh, Joe Saldano was a former Brazilian manager. And when uh, he was taken off, obviously he was taken off against New Zealand and uh, Saldano's remark, I think he might have been doing TV, might have been on El Globo. But he said, finally, the ball is round again. <laughs> harsh. Oh, man. It is harsh. But at the same time, it's funny. I'll talk to you tomorrow for day 12. We are over the hump of this World Cup. And to be honest, we're loving it. <laughs>